This is KVRX 91.7 Austin, and you are listening to Dialectica, an examination of the civic, political, and economic issues that matter to us all on global, national, and local levels. Dialectica is brought to you by students of the LBJ School of Public Affairs and is produced in partnership with the LBJ Journal of Public Affairs. We hope you enjoy the show. My name is Margarita Jimenez, and I'm a graduate student at the LBJ School of Public Affairs. With the unemployment rate at 10.2% in October, I wondered how this impacted the working poor and social services organizations in Austin. According to the Texas Poverty 101 report by the Center for Public Policy Priorities, about 3.7 million people in Texas live in poverty, of which 1.5 million are children and almost 300,000 are elderly persons. Since the summer of 2008, 211 Texas, a United Way capital area program offering statewide 24-hour access to information on more than 4,000 health and human services, saw calls for basic needs such as uh, food and housing increased by 40% in the second half of 2008, reflecting the national economic downturn. To get a better understanding of the situation in Austin, I spoke to three people with different perspectives on this issue. First, I will speak with Karen Reynes, the Director of Outreach Services at St. Austin Catholic Parish, to get an insight on the current state of the program during this recent economic downturn. What kind of assistance does St. Austin provide at the outreach program for your clients? When you look at the kinds of help that we offer, the sorts of assistance, it's sort of reflective of um, the type of people that originally, or the, or the backgrounds of people that originally we started ministering to. So. You'll see that we help with things like ID, as I mentioned, folks needing to just get a birth certificate, which may seem like a, for most of us, that sounds like a really simple thing. Um, But if you don't have $12 to order a birth certificate, then you can't access your birth certificate. And if you don't have a birth certificate, you can't get a copy of your Social Security card. And if you don't have a birth certificate and your Social Security card and you've never had an ID in Texas before, then you're going to need all those things to be able to get a Texas ID. And oftentimes you're going to need a Texas ID to access some of the services in the community. So it becomes this vicious cycle. And so part of what we do is help people get out of that cycle. So it's not a huge financial assistance that we're giving them, but it's more giving them an opportunity to access other things. So we might help them get a birth certificate. We uh, would give them information on where to get their Social Security card. And a lot of times they can't get that until they get their birth certificate. Um, We might help them with getting their Texas ID. And again, a lot of times it's just handing them a money order so that they can go get an ID. We might help them um, with a pair of work boots. We help a lot of folks with work boots. Uh, We have a great partnership with Payless Shoe Source. Um, They give us a discount on the cards that we provide. We basically provide um, one-time use gift cards so they can go and they're only, they can only use them for work boots. So they'll go, and the reason for that is a lot of, again, the folks that we see come to us, that is the kind of work that's easily accessible to them. So they can go and do contract labor for a day. That's your day laborers. But many of the sites that they go to work will say, we cannot hire you if you're wearing those tennis shoes or what flip-flops or whatever you have to have a pair of steel-toed work boots. And those can cost up to $50 even at a place like Payless. So we will help them with that. Um, Eye exams, it's another one of those things that, you know, you really don't think about it, but if someone 
can't see well enough, they might not be able to read, they might not be able to drive even though they might have a driver's license. So we uh, would help them get an eye exam and then we would then connect them to Lens Crafters, which is another great resource in the community um, that provides a service if someone has a letter uh, a referral letter from a place like us, then they can go and they can have their prescription filled. So, um, but we also then, within that program, also offer assistance with things like rent and utilities as well, um, co-payments for prescriptions. Uh, a lot of times folks will come and they might have a map card and they might have access to a way to, they might have a prescription, but they don't have the means with which to have that prescription filled. So we'll help if they have a copay, we'll kind of help them play the copay, or we might, in partnership with another great um, entity in our, our organization in our community, it's called MedSavers, is a pharmacy here in Austin that works with us. They only do generic drugs, but we can call them up and say, we have, we're sending some over with this prescription and we'll help cover the cost of the prescription. Because a lot of times generic drugs, if they can do it generically, are, are really easily accessible to us because the price is not exorbitant. So. Who are the clients that you serve in your outreach program? When I first started working here at St. Austin's doing this work, that I would say over half of um, the people who walked in the door were homeless. They were people who did not have a place to live. Um, that has probably shifted a little bit. We're starting to see more and more working poor. We're starting to see families now a lot more. Um, it might come closer to 50-50. It depends on the week. <coughs> but we're seeing many, I mean, it used to be, in other words, it used to be like 70-30, let's say. About 70% of the people that would walk in the door were individuals who didn't have a home. And then the other 30% might be families or the elderly. Um, and now I'm probably seeing more of a 50-50 split. Um, and I think uh, what we're seeing is a lot more families who lived right on the edge of poverty and have always existed that way, but they've managed, you know, they live, as they say, mano a mano. So, you know, I mean, it's just they make it from paycheck to paycheck. Um, and something has happened. They Many of them have lost jobs and they often live, uh, they often work jobs where there's no benefits, there's no, there's no severance pay, there's no, one day they come to work and they're told you no longer have a job. Um, and so they go from being able to manage pretty well to suddenly having having no, and, and they're working very hard at trying to find jobs. There just aren't any with people who who oftentimes don't, we're just skilled labor many times. They're, they're the people who build our homes. They're the people who clean our homes. They're, um, you know, the people that that cook our food in the restaurants. I mean, and so oftentimes then what you're seeing is because the economy, lots of things have shifted, you have home builders who are cutting back. You have uh, people that are cutting back on luxuries, which oftentimes having your house cleaned by someone is that kind of thing. And you have restaurants who are seeing less, fewer patrons because, again, people are cutting back. So all of that trickles down, and so the folks that are down there at the bottom who have been living from paycheck to paycheck, suddenly, you know, all it takes is one paycheck, and it's this whole domino effect. How many people do you serve during your outreach program? It's interesting. When I first, um, again, it's been almost three years when I first started doing this particular um, work, um, I would... If we had a week where we had where we saw 25 people come in the door, that was a big crowd for us. Um, 
now, uh, let's say like last week, for instance, the number of people who came, the number of households or individuals who came seeking assistance was 64. Huge increase. And many of those, again, are families. When did you start seeing the change in numbers? Uh, probably early summer, early this, this summer of, two, of, of 09. Well, it has slowly been shifting, so there was this, this gradual increase that we'd been seeing. But then the summer hit, and all of a sudden it was like the numbers just started jumping. How has this affected the uh, services that you are able to provide? Do you still have the means to serve all these clients? How? Every week I say to folks, um, this feels a lot like fishes and loaves to me. I really sometimes don't even know how we do what we do. Um, because the reality is what I share with folks is I would love to be able to tell you, and I tell them, the, the people that come in the door, I'm very transparent with them, and I tell them the whole story that I just told you. When I started three years ago, this was a big crowd, 25. Look at how the, full the room is. So the numbers have, you know, almost, you know, tripled and quadrupled. I would love to say that the resources, the financial resources that we have, have done the same, but that's not the reality. The bulk of the resources that we work with come from our parish community. I mean, every month we do a collection. It's the second Sunday of every month. Everybody knows. And I will say that the wonderful thing about our parish is they have really stepped up in the sense that there used to be a lot of up and down. Like one month they would be kind of pretty good, and then the next month they would drop for some reason. I will say that in the last couple of years it has been very consistent, and that's nice because it allows us to do some planning. And then periodically I have some really generous people that um, um, have wonderful hearts and they really love the work that happens here and they'll surprise me with an additional um, extra source. And so that's really nice. So for those people uh, that might feel awkward in meeting someone who's in, in need and not knowing how to help, what would your recommendation be? Um, well, here's what I would suggest is I try to keep um, a little stack of 211 cards with United Way can get you those. It's just a little card that has 211. 211 is our local number that you can call from any phone. Um, and, and you can call up and say, here's what I need help with. And they will direct you to places that can assist you. Um, and, and here's the other thing that I tell folks a lot is that sometimes the best use of your financial resources is in sharing them with organizations that do the kind of work that I do. Um, I can do more with the $5 that you have in your pocket than you can or that the person that you're giving it to can. Um, it, it's Air, Capital Area Food Bank will tell you they can do more with $5 and get more food than you can on your own. Um, so I always challenge people to keep that in mind that there are organizations in the Austin community that are doing that kind of work. Find one that you really believe in what their mission is and the work that they're doing and support them. Um, because then you're a lot more comfortable in being able to say, to, you know, I don't, I don't have any money to give you today, but um, there's organizations that might be able to help you, and I know I, I'm involved in some of those, and here's a number that you can call. Because you've then acknowledged that person. You've recognized that they have a need. Another local organization addressing the needs of the poor is VinCare Services of Austin. They have two programs, one which serves homeless women and children, become self-sufficient, and end the cycle of poverty. 
and in another program, Outreach to Street Youth. I recently spoke to Sharon Beezer, the Executive Director of VinCare Services of Austin. First, she described the programs offered by VinCare Services. Most of our resources go to St. Louis House, which does housing for single mothers with children, very low-income single mothers with children. We're in the midst of a program change. We have previously um, provided transitional housing to homeless women with children. Uh, we are moving to a new program called supportive housing. And transitional housing um, is time limited, up to mm -hmm. two years, and we have discovered that it takes sometimes much longer than two years for a family to get stable, especially if they're working towards moving themselves out of poverty. And then the second program we have is a sort of a satellite program. It's run by volunteers. It's a meal program uh, for street youth in the drag area, and we work collaboratively with, with LifeWorks in the university area churches. Next, she lists the services provided at St. Louis House. The services we provide are housing at a very low cost. Our lowest rent is $20 a month, but it is based on the sliding scale. Uh, we um, help people access resources that they may be entitled to that they don't know that they're entitled to. We provide life skills, um, money management, um, job readiness, um, parenting, skills, uh, or programs in parenting. Then, Mrs. Beezer described the people they help. Women with children are, are they're the invisible population. You don't see them on the street panhandling, uh, but they're also very vulnerable. Um, it is, it, if a woman is, does not have an education, it's very difficult to support herself and a child, or another child. Uh, they are their incomes are very low if they have income at all. Um, many of them come from a background of domestic violence. Actually, about 50% of ours come from a background of domestic violence. And here she discusses the impact of homelessness on children. Homelessness was really devastating for children. Uh, they have the average homeless child, I think, tends two schools a year. Uh, they have like four times the uh, rate of infections and emergency hospitalizations and um, see in their um, um, witness much more domestic violence than the average child that's not homeless. So uh, it, it can be really devastating. So providing a stable environment is really important for children and for their well-being. About 40% or 42% of the homeless population in Austin's are individuals and families, and I think that that is about the national average also. Homeless families, according to many resources, are the fastest growing population of homeless individuals in the nation. So um, many of our referrals come from 211 Texas, or they come from the local agencies, the local shelters, like the Salvation Army Women and Children, or the Austin Women and Children's Shelter, uh, from Posada Esperanza, from uh, Safe Place. So a lot of self-referrals, people pick up the phone, call 211, then call us. 
So they come from a number of, of sources. Coping with the economic downturn, has that affected um, FinCare in any way? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, uh, our history, we've, um, in our past, we have, rec- we have received uh, lots of general public donations from individuals. Uh, we've, we've been very uh, successful at that in keeping the organization really uh, financially stable. We have seen a decline in that. We have seen a decline in foundation funding because of the uh, downturn. So there's not as much money available to support organizations like ours as there was two years ago. And finally, she turns to the Outreach to Street Youth program. The meal program began in 1997, and at that time, we were seeing some 60 kids uh, for every meal, sometimes in the wintertime especially, maybe about 40 or 50 in the summer, and then sometimes it would get up to 90 kids 90, uh, in the wintertime. And now those numbers are down. Uh, in the summer, we serve about 20 kids, and uh, in the wintertime, it may get up to about 40. Uh, a really um, unusual day now, it may get up to 45. So the numbers have dropped significantly, I am told, and uh, that the reason is, uh, is because Austin is not as, a, as friendly a city to homeless youth as it once was. We provide uh, money for food for that program, and that's about all we do. Mm-hmm. It's really the volunteers that do the service and do the, the work and uh, make it what it is. Okay. What do you see um, for the future of that initiative? Mm-hmm. I think it. I think it will depend on the number of kids. As long as there's kids, and, and we've seen the numbers decline. So as long as there's a need and there's volunteers there to do it, I think it will continue. To speak on raising awareness of poverty, we turn to Lacey Strake, who recently launched a new campaign in Austin called Break the Cycle of Poverty. I'm working on a campaign called the Break the Cycle of Poverty. It's a poverty awareness campaign. Um, a group of cyclists, and some not cyclists, but we will all be biking and um, for four days across Central Texas, Waco to Austin, mm-hmm. stopping in Temple and in Taylor along the way, stopping in Waco, Temple, Taylor, and ending in Austin. Um, the whole mission of the Break the Cycle is to raise awareness of the issue of poverty specific to Central Texas. And what we'll see in the news is what's happening in other in foreign countries, which is very important as well. But what kept hitting me is, what's right here in our backyards? What are we responsible for in our own cities? What drew you to this? Well, I guess part of it is my background in social work and seeing how much um, room there is for people to become involved. If it's on a relational basis, if it's on a volunteer basis, if it's Um, just on a kindness level, the dignity piece, um, showing dignity to those who are struggling financially. Um, I think what caught my attention right now is the numbers that I started to see based on the recession. The need is growing at a really fast rate right now. 
Um, just recently I was speaking with someone from the Micah 6 food pantry, mm-hmm. and she told me that they were serving about 230 families a week um, um, in the last you know, six months or so. And in the past couple of months, they've served 500 families. It's almost doubled. It has doubled, plus some. And so um, I think that's what's catching my attention right now, that the need to begin talking about this issue. And that's one of the mottos with the Break the Cycle is to think about it, to talk about it, and then to take action. And that was something else that drew me to this concept is if we're not thinking about the issues, then we're not talking about them, so we're not knowledgeable about where help is needed. So can you tell me a little bit about the history of Break the Cycle? Yeah, um, Break the Cycle of Poverty was formed under the Catholic Campaign for Human Development, which is a, a group that was, I think, founded back in the 70s. And they're a grassroots type group that helped to empower people who are in, power, in poverty to work their way out of poverty. So they did an initial ride back in 2002 that went across the U.S. from the west to the east coast. It was just a ride to raise awareness. And then a group in Connecticut, a small group in a diocese in Connecticut, took that idea and formed um, this similar type of program where they go for a week each year, and they've done it for five years, um, and travel from parish to parish and, and spread the same message. So... When I came across their information, it just resonated as a truth within me. And so they've been working with us, this Connecticut group, to form the Break the Cycle of Poverty Texas. And four of their riders have actually come to join us on our ride. You will be leaving Austin uh, to Waco Mm -hmm. and back? So yes, tomorrow we start here at St. Austin's um, in the outreach here we're going to spend time in the outreach that's done here on Thursdays, um, then go over to Representative Nate Stat's office for a visit. Then we will drive with our bikes to Waco and working at Caritas, do some outreach there, and then have a presentation there that night. And then the next morning we get up and ride. It's about 35 miles to Temple and Belton and do the same type of program there, working in an outreach and then um, giving a presentation at night and then the same thing in Taylor. And then we'll end here on Sunday um, with our final presentation at Micah 6. We'll be doing it there, and um, it's an ecumenical food pantry, so the word has gone out to 11 different congregations in the area to, to join us. So what, what do you see um, for the future, since this is the first, uh, the first step Mm-hmm. Uh, the first event. Yes. What do you see for the future of Break the Cycle? Yes. So in the future, I, I can see that throughout the year, we are, are offering to give these the po- poverty awareness presentations anywhere that we're, we're welcome and mm-hmm. just engage as many people as we can in this discussion. So our presentation, there are um, lots of just basic facts that we feel like are important to know, that around four million people are living in poverty in Texas. One in six individuals are living in poverty in Texas. One in four children are living in poverty in Texas. The numbers are just astounding. 
every five minutes a child is born into poverty in Texas. These these pieces are a part of our message. Let's get the attention of this reality. It's a really strong reality that we're living among in our state. Um, so that's part of it. Sharing of personal stories, people that we know or that we've met who may be that single mom with two children working a full-time job um, without medical care coverage, and that one serious illness with a child drops them into that the zone of living in poverty and just how many people are barely hanging on. Um, that's part of our, our message as well. Um, the opportunity to provide places for to take action. That's, that's another big component. Um, that's mainly what our presentation is about. Let's, let's learn uh, the facts of the issues in, in Texas and um, let's hear from people who are living that reality and let's see where we can engage. The main thing from where I'm standing right now is just a real call out to people to become engaged, to, um, to clear the blinders. That's another piece of our presentation is that when we see something over and over again, it's easy to just get the blinders on and stop noticing the need. So I think, I guess I could sum it up with, let's notice the need and let's engage. Because um, if each of us is just engaging in one place, then the need is being covered. Dialectica has been brought to you by the students of the LBJ School of Public Affairs in partnership with the LBJ Journal of Public Affairs. Sources for our show can be found on our website, which can be accessed through kbrx.org. Any opinions offered on this show do not necessarily reflect the views of the LBJ School of Public Affairs, the University of Texas, or KBRX Student Radio. Thank you to our producers and our guests, and remember, you are listening to KBRX Austin.